This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Hello again and welcome to the Llama Podcast. I'm Peter Bowes and Llama, Live Long and Master Aging is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Today, a conversation about functional medicine and living to a hundred. But first... I'm doing something that I could not do when I was 20 years old, but I'm doing it at 70. I mean, that's a little different. And I think that's what's really, really cool and I'm excited about that was Sue Albert talking to me during her final stage of training for the World Powerlifting Championships, which took place last week in Belarus. Well, I'm delighted to report that at the age of 71, Sue is now a world champion. Her dream has come true. She has accomplished a quite remarkable turnaround in her health and strength through training, perseverance and a positive attitude. Congratulations, Sue, from all of us here. It is a wonderful Achievement, And if you didn't catch it, you can listen to Sue's really inspiring story on episode 16 of the Llama podcast. One of the things about being this age is, you know, you don't know how long you're going to be able to lift. There may be no tomorrow, so you better make the most of it right now. Now, my guest today is about to launch a project to create the first community in the world with a life expectancy of 100 the goal is to transform the health and longevity of people living on the island of Guernsey in the English Channel within 10 years. I've come to Venice in California to meet James Maskell, who's the co-founder of the Functional Forum. James has a background in healthcare economics. He is a businessman and a prolific writer and speaker on issues concerning health, medicine and longevity. Good to meet you, James. Good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start by explaining what the Functional Forum is. Yeah, so the Functional Forum is a monthly 90-minute show for doctors uh, that we created in 2014. Uh, it started as a meetup for doctors interested in functional medicine um, in New York, uh, and uh, we started doing a monthly meetup. We turned it into a 90-minute show, and over the last uh, three and a half years, it's sort of become the sort of premier media channel to speak to doctors who are interested in functional medicine. And it's also, uh, you know, we have over 400 meetup groups around the world of doctors getting together. More than anything, it's reduced the barriers to entry to doctors to find out about functional medicine. Uh, and functional medicine is, is a new operating system for medicine that is designed for lifestyle-driven disease. That was going to be my next question. Give yeah. me a more sort of detailed definition of functional medicine. Yeah, functional medicine is, you know, is a, as I said, a new operating system for medicine. So it's not just uh, something that you would aspire to. It's actually a plan that you would carry out with a new patient. Um, the principles of, of functional medicine is that you look to treat the cause and rather than just um, get with the symptom. Uh, it's a patient-practitioner relationship, so the patient is actually expected to participate in the care, which really makes it great for lifestyle disease. And then um, the third sort of principle that it sits on is a systems biology approach to disease. So rather than treating a symptom, you're treating sort of like the, the ecosystem of the patient that may even extend to family and other loved ones in the community. But it's really a, a sort of a, a full spectrum approach to healing. And it it's, uh, you know, it, 
it has many benefits to it uh, over conventional medicine when it comes to lifestyle disease. But one of the key things is it's a repeatable system. So everyone's doing the same thing, which is not true of integrative or holistic or other words that people have used to describe similar concepts. Well, I was thinking of the word alternative. Mm-hmm. Does that fit into the paradigm? I mean, the, the word alternative, the word alternative can only come in a crazy world where health creation is alternative to whatever we've created. So the fact that, you know, health creation, the fundamentals of health creation are deemed alternative medicine and that word is used is, is distracting ultimately, I think. Um, so people have called it that, but I, I don't think I can call it that. You won't hear that coming out of my mouth. All right. And when you, when you say the Functional Forum is a show, yeah. what's your platform? It's on YouTube. We host the show on our own site and we have at this moment, you know, we've had up to 30,000 doctors watch an episode of the show. But the biggest thing that we're concerned about and what we're doubling down on now, having done over 40 episodes, is the building of communities around the show. Because what we saw is that most of these doctors that were doing functional medicine up until this point have been the weird doctor in their community that had something happen to them, the... Uh, the ill health of either themselves or a family member or a patient where they couldn't work it out. They were forced to go and learn some new skills some new tools, typically with lifestyle modification, uh, saw how well it worked and now feel a moral obligation to practice it. Uh, but what's happening now is that just like tech 15 years ago, the weird doctors are becoming the cool doctors uh, because, you know, as an example, the Cleveland Clinic, which is sort of one of the most um, most well-known and trusted names in medicine is now has a huge functional medicine center right at the center of it and they're betting on functional medicine for the future of chronic disease management so i think um, these doctors are about to have their time in the sun and that's kind of what i've been telling them for the last three and a half years and it's it's exciting to see it starting to happen and when you talk about a let's say a system of medicine that that isn't the the status quo yeah the expressions uh, quack snake oil come to mind in a sense just to get that out of the way yeah what is your response to that well look you know what, what's great for me i don't know how many of your your listeners are in the uk uh, but uh but if they are what beautiful better way to see it is that this show doctor in the house and we'll come back to it because it's a big part of what we're doing but there's this show called doctor on the ha- a doctor in the house where a doc it's kind of like dr oz meets super nanny so a doctor comes and lives in your house for 30 days and they see how they can improve your health and in that show you know in the first season he reversed type 2 diabetes on two different people chronic pain opiate addiction eczema in this new series like it got even tougher fibromyalgia headache cluster headaches that were you know awful mental illness and guess what everyone got better and in in this period of time so what he's doing there is aggressively looking for the underlying cause engaging the patient into their own health and looking at a systems approach to the patient to understand why things could have been missed I can't see if you if that if that is quackery, then, you know, then I don't you know, quackery is a word that has been used, you know, by people in power to, you know, uh, subjugate others. So I understand those words, but the proof is in the pudding. There is literally no one else reversing type two diabetes in the NHS. No one's doing it. No, no one even know that it's possible. A part of my passion for this space came because 12 years ago, I saw things that most people didn't think were possible. Reversing kids on the autism spectrum now lost the diagnosis. You know, chronic diseases, you know, moving outside of the disease ranges for type 2 diabetes or heart disease. 
I don't think most people think that this is um, that, that, that this is possible. And with the with armed with that knowledge, I felt like I had to sort of work to spread it. And twelve years ago, when you made those observations, what were you doing? Let's tell a little bit about your story, how you got here, because you, you're not a doctor, right? No, no. So I was definitely the weird kid at school who saw all kinds of quacks. To use you know the vernacular we were just joking about. Um, you know, I had a chiropractor, and and that was kind of the way that my healthcare was. And I didn't realize that was abnormal until I went to school, and I realized no one knew what a chiropractor was and and when I had to try and get off school to go to a chiropractic appointment um, so that was that was one thing one one interesting thing to know my mum was the only parent in the whole school who insisted that she uh, be asked first before I was given antibiotics no one else cared my mum has no medical training yet my mum somehow predicted antibiotic resistance 30 years ahead by not giving me that and what she did do is she just you know she had an understanding of holism and you know the system effect of certain things so that was the way that I was brought up I had a rebellious phase where I thought I need to be an investment banker and I was just trying to like pay back my student loan and so I got a really great job um, in an investment bank in London. I worked in Canary Wharf. And about six months into it, I just realized I was playing for the wrong team. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to do things that, you know, I that my work would help to take humanity forward. And I moved. So 12 years ago, I moved to America. I was lucky to have an American passport. I was born in America. And um, the, my first job was working in a clinic that was really designed as a vision for the future of medicine. So naturopathic doctor in a spa environment in rural Georgia. And that's where I started to see what was possible when you had doctors who were sort of trained in this kind of operating system. And, um, and also, you know, I really got a good idea of, of, you know, what it took to run a clinic like this. Um, you know, when you switch from a model where you don't expect the patient to actually do anything apart from take the drugs to where you actively encourage that patient to be a participant in their care, you need a different model. You need, uh, you know, you need a different structure of medicine. So I, I think one of the greatest gifts I was given from that role was really understanding the practice management side. And that's what sort of led into my next job and then into the functional forum otherwise, because, you know, m people have asked me, why do doctors listen to you? You know, you don't, you're not a doctor. You started this show. Why would they listen? And, and the truth is, I've never given them any clinical information. I've curated clinicians in the show that I think are good, typically young and female and not old and male, like the, the whole thing had been forever. Um, and that's been a big thing, but I know how to run the practice. And so I would intersperse the clinical information with practice management stuff. Um, you know, we, we were the first people to really put the world of technology and functional medicine together. So we were curating technologies that would make uh, the running of a functional medicine practice easier and better. And that's come at a time where technology's moved into medicine with things like telemedicine, um, you know, patient tracking, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, over the last four years, you know, we've built, we've done over 40 episodes, built this whole community. And um, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. It sounds like it's, it's almost in your blood from yeah. when you were a kid. Yeah. Have there been any, it sounds like actually there might have been a few sort of light bulb moments that have really made a, a mark on you in, in terms of your belief in what you're doing? For sure. Um, you know, we bet on the word functional for the show. So we called it the Functional Forum. And on the fourth episode, Mark Hyman came on and announced the Cleveland Clinic deal on the fourth ever episode, which is the first episode where we ever got the streaming to work. Streaming back in 2014 was difficult. It wasn't like Facebook Live like it is today. We had to have a whole thing. 
yeah, the first time. Not long ago, was it? Not that long ago, yeah. So it streamed and it worked, and I was like, bang, okay, this is this is now entering a world where there could be mainstream credibility for this type of medicine, and that would be a complete game changer. So that was like a, a, a huge moment. You know, when the first doctor came up to me, this is probably about um, middle of 2015, so we're probably a year into it, where the first doctor came up to me at a conference and was like, I'd never heard of functional medicine before. I saw a clip of yours on YouTube, on Facebook. I went to the YouTube channel. I binge watched all the episodes. I got in touch with you guys. You sent me off to, uh, you know, a company that could help me switch over to functional medicine. And now, six months later, I'm doing it and I love it. And thank you. That was an amazing moment. Um, and because I realized like the plan that we set out, the plan evolved as we went along. The first thing we were trying to do was build the New York meetup group. Then we were like trying to build the audience. Then we were trying to build these other meetup groups. But along the way, we sort of came up with the mission and the vision, which was to totally re create a new primary care network that had people on the very front lines who were solely, really solely um, there to help patients engage in their own health. I felt like that was a strong point. And when I started to see that that was happening, that was really excited. And since then, it's not just one by one doctors, it's dozen by dozen, hundred by hundred. And now, you know, last year with my book uh, that came out, we had 50,000 downloads in the first five days uh, from the practitioner community. And so that was like, that was a great moment uh, for, for the movement. But there, you know, there's been some that have been regarding to the movement. There have been some, like, I think, uh, yeah, there have just been some moments where it's been uh, specific specific doctors. And, there, and honestly, there's been a lot of incredible content on the show itself from some of the doctors that we've curated, which have been sort of light bulb moments for myself in learning how to explain functional medicine to another doctor or to understand the pain points that make a doctor want to get the hell out of being in a hospital and really want to be the kind of doctor that I think they thought they were going to be when they were in medical school until they sort of make their way into the system and realize they don't have as many choices that they thought. And is it possible to encapsulate a mission statement? On this podcast, we talk a lot about longevity yeah. and living well and living long, but not excessively long, but as long as we can and remain healthy. Yeah. A lot about preventative medicine. I guess what you're doing is is all of that. Yeah, like we we actually crowdsourced a mission statement from our first five employees in January 2015. And the top level of that is we evolve mankind beyond chronic disease. You know, what we see is that, you know, typically uh, chronic disease, I wouldn't say chronic disease is a choice because there are certain factors that go into it that start even before you're born, predispositions. But I would say that, um, it's a choice to let it go as far as it goes because one of like, if you understand the inputs that got you some of the way there, you can understand that if you change the inputs, you could change another direction. And also the thing about functional medicine is that you're looking for function and not symptoms. And what we see is that there's this, for most people, there is a period of dysfunction before it turns into disease. And disease is a lot more expensive and difficult to treat. And so in this period of dysfunction where say, you know, you may be pre-diabetic, but not completely diabetic because your hemoglobin A1C hasn't hit seven yet, but you're at 6.5, you know, you're not far off that, you know, that is dysfunction. And you can, if you correct that at that point, um, people can go on and live exactly what you're saying, much longer and healthier lives. And, you know, that's the exciting, I think that's the cross section of where we're operating. So let's talk about Guernsey yeah. and journey to a hundred. Where did the, where did this start? 
So it all started uh, in 2014. We, we did the first Evolution of Medicine Summit. It was a digital summit that we put on and it was really looking to you know, build the email list, get the word out there and to, you know, to interview people who are on this cutting edge. And as part of that, you know, it went to over 65,000 people. And one of those people uh, was this guy called Mark Wynn on Guernsey. Um, and he's been, he founded this thing called the Dandelion Project. And their goal is to make Guernsey the, uh, the happiest place to live by 2020. And um, he, he, you know, emailed me and said he would like to connect. And I remember we, we spoke and I, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Istanbul on like a vacation and we were having a conversation on Skype. And that's when he told me that he was the curator of the TED X thing for St. Peter's Port, which is the capital of Guernsey or the, the main city. And he'd like me to come and speak. And I'd been wanting to do a TED talk 100%. It was like, I was really excited about it. I was excited about TED. So in, uh, in, in March of 2015, I went to Guernsey and I gave my TED talk. And you can watch it on YouTube. Um, wasn't my, I was, I was nervous for someone who had done like 15 shows at this point. I, I was definitely nervous for it. Uh, but the theme of it the was kind of raises the bar. Yeah. It? Even though like, you know, looking back, it wasn't like the cool venue that you see in different places. Like you can see the ceiling is like a, a foot above my head. It's not like the expansive theater that you think about, but yeah, it definitely made me nervous. But I, yeah, I did a talk called, um, it was basically, called, you know, the, the headline was that community and not medicine creates health. And it's various aspects of community. It could be um, community itself. If you look at, you know, the blue zones, and I'm sure you, you've covered it, the power of community there. The power, to, the power of community of, of, um, of microbes in the gut is a community that keeps you healthy. And even, you know, to go far as with technology, you know, what are some ways that you can bring people together? We talked about things like group visits and, and other things that were happening all centered around community. So that happened, came and went, was a great moment. I had Guernsey in the back of my head. Mark and I were in touch for a long time. I made some introductions to him of other people who were doing cool stuff in England. And um, yeah, about a year, about six months ago, Mark told me that someone who had been at that event um, wanted to sponsor or wanted to be the benefactor of a project uh, to to make Guernsey the first country to get to life expectancy 100. And that he was going to do a kickoff event in June and he'd like me to help curate some of the clinical speakers. And that's how it, that's how it came together. So it's a sort of a co-branded uh, event between the Dandelion Foundation that's Guernsey and the Evolution of Medicine. And yeah, we're really, really excited uh, to, you know, to do the event and to, uh, you know, to start a conversation on, you know, it's it's one thing to say, like, is something a blue zone or isn't it? But it's like this, the more important conversation is how do we turn the ones that aren't into that and even surpass them? And so that's, uh, you know, that's that's the next goal, I think, for humanity and for healthcare, And that's why we want to just go and start the conversation. And just to explain for anyone who doesn't know what the blue zones are, they are places around the world that have been identified as the longest lived, healthiest, if you like, uh, communities, towns, I suppose the closest one to us is Loma Linda, mm -hmm. a town just outside of Los Angeles, where the life expectancy is, is almost 10 years greater than your, your average American, which is, which is quite incredible. I've been there and it, it's just like a normal American town. But when you dig deeper, 
it's the lifestyle that's different. Yeah, exactly. You know, in that group, you got the Seventh Day Adventists, and they have very specific things that they do and don't do. There's a lot of community. There's a lot of exercises. There's a lot of fundamentals of health creation right there. But the community, I think, is one thing that brings things together. And the cool thing about Loma Linda too is it's it's not Costa Rica, which is one of them where yeah, we'd all love to live in Costa Rica, and I'm sure we could all live to 150 if we just had to go to the beach all day and eat ceviche. But you know, but you know, Loma Linda's in the bowl of Los Angeles is polluted is you know urban or suburban and so it's it's great to see that that's possible because it it shows us that it's not just the things that we think that create health that do create health and so um, I'm very excited to see uh, you know see what's uh, what we're doing. So the task ahead for Guernsey what is the life expectancy right now in Guernsey? 82. 82 yeah so, and you're shooting for 100. Yeah so the highest in the world right now I think is is Monaco, Japan and Norway that are around 89. So they've still got quite a long way to go too. So that there are three main reasons. There used to be two, but I'll tell you the third. There are three main reasons why I think Guernsey is a good bet to get there first. One is the size of the population. 64,000 people. You know, I've met with pediatric practices in America that have that many people that come through, families and whatever. So it's a it's a reasonable number to, you know, to get there. And that, that's maybe just in terms of getting the message out and the education yeah. side of this. Get the message out there. You know, if you needed to treat 64,000 patients with a certain drug or a certain lifestyle intervention, it wouldn't be that difficult to organize it. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is there's a complete lack of red tape. That, and that's huge, you know, so I can, while I'm there, I'm going to have lunch with the health minister. We're going to talk about, you know, what's going on there. There's, they're not in the EU and they're not in the UK. And so they, they have an ability to be able to do kind of whatever they want. They still have come with some of the British sensibilities in that they're, you know, they're a little stubborn and they probably don't want to do things that are good for them. Um, and they're certainly, you know, whatever. But, you know, that there's that potential. Now, the third thing. Actually, just, just, yeah. just uh, I mean, Guernsey, we're very familiar with it. Yeah. It's one of the Channel Islands in the English Channel. Yeah, it's a tax haven, basically, yeah. that in between England and France. It's much closer to France, actually, than, than England, if you look at it up on a map. But it's a beautiful little island and, you know, they've got 30 beaches and they've got a lot of um, financial services, you know, as being a tax haven. And so that's kind of what it's been. And it's it's pretty random, but I, I do think those two are pretty strong indicators. But the third indicator that I think is really in- interesting is, so, you know, I mentioned earlier Dr. Chatterjee on, on um, Doctor in the House. So he's he's a friend. He's the host of the International Functional Forum, which he hosts once a quarter at the Royal Society of Medicine in London. And he's, you know, he's the big cheese there. He's coming over to, uh, you know, host this event in Guernsey uh, with me. Uh, but one of the cool things and the, the other third thing that I think really inspires and, and the third thing that put Guernsey in a good position to implement is that they get his show. They get British TV there. And so they've witnessed too people whose health trajectory is going down pretty strongly. And is you know, my, uh, I guess if you, if you take a step back, our theory that we're working on is that the years that are being lost are being lost by chronic disease taking people too early. Right. So if you didn't get type two diabetes, if you didn't get heart disease, if you didn't get autoimmune diseases, most of which, you know, in those three categories, the majority of which are preventable or reversible. If you didn't get those, would you live longer? And um, that's our that's our sort of theory at the beginning of everything is that if we can if we can reverse chronic illness and if we can empower people to you know build communities and support each other through patient transformation, then you know we've got a good shot at getting 
you know, getting a bit higher. And yeah, I think that Guernsey, for the reasons I, I mentioned, you know, can move, the number can move quicker than, let's say, Japan or Norway, maybe not Monaco, but, you know, that, that's that's where we are. But who else is even aiming at this goal? I don't, I've never heard anyone talk about it. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll catch up with them before they realize it. Yeah, yeah it's a great goal. <laughs> and, and obviously, the, some of the lifestyle changes that are, are needed to prevent those chronic diseases of old age, they're required relatively early in life. You can't simply target the 70-year-olds the and hope yeah. that they're going to get to 90. You need to be talking to the 30 and 40-year-olds. No, exactly. Yeah. And even before that. So, you know, when you if you watch, if you go to journey100.org, you can register to watch the whole day event. It'll be online for free. But yeah, what we're talking about reflects that. So you may expect reduction of chronic disease, but we've got, um, as an example, Dr. Maya Shatree Klein, who's a pediatric neurologist and is really talking about, you know, nature and getting into nature and the value of uh, microbes as leading to diversity in the gut that leads to resilience to healthy brains you know so you're getting ahead of alzheimer's by like maybe 80 years there by getting that right at the beginning dr sheila kilban is a pediatrician too how to raise healthy kids yes in the 30s and 40s um you know there's going to be be content there but yeah we have to we have to hit the whole population and what's what i think the biggest uh structure that is needed to facilitate this is is the power of community since i gave that ted talk so i gave that ted talk in um march of 2015 in the summer of 2015 i attended a conference where there was a ucla researcher called dr george slavich and he um is part of this new this new science scientific area called human social genomics and what it is all that it's really showing um for the first time genomic testing is cheap enough that you can do it regularly and what they found is that social stress is a bigger cause of all cause mortality than smoking, diet, exercise, and uh, one other, but I can't remember. So, you know, social stress, so that's like, you know, if you're targeted for rejection, you break up with someone, you don't have many friends, you're lonely, loneliness. Um, so, you know, that's that's probably going to be the enduring message. But one of the cool things is we get to talk about things that affect life expectancy 100 that you would never talk about at a medical conference. So... Um, sustainable farming, you know, how do we get to a point where we continue to make healthy food to get people well? Uh, Things like universal basic income, right? It's, you know, in other countries of the world, why is life expectancy low? Because there's poverty and lots of it. And so we have to have a discussion about, you know, if, if things go the way that many people think, and most jobs are automated, what does it look like on the other side of that? Are we just going to have despotism? Are we going to have the kind of world that you would see in 1984 or um, the parable of the sower, Octavia Butler's uh, thing? Are we going to have that kind of world? Or are we going to have a world where, like the Karl Marx envisioned, where everyone just has a lot more free time and everyone has a lot more rest? So, you know, these are fundamentals that we want to kind of wrestle with because also Guernsey's not, Guernsey doesn't have its own. Um, it, it does, but it's not like America where like in order to get universal basic income in America, you're having to deal with like generations of people who vehemently oppose any sort of gift from the government, even if it's not in their best interest, because that's just the way that they understand the world, which is not wrong. But I just say that getting something like universal basic income passed in America is a very different thing than something like Guernsey, where you've got 60,000 people. Most people are rich enough anyway. There's not really that much poverty, but it's an interesting discussion to have. Because so, so the inbuilt culture is going to be easier to work with. 
I hope so. You think? I hope so. I mean, I think that more people, you know, there's, you just seen in the UK, sort of like the move back towards socialist ideas. So there's at least a history of, of um, some sort of system where, you know, it's not just dog-eat-dog competition. And uh, I'm excited to see, you know, how well they'll take to it. You know, it's, it's one thing to go and do an event and to inspire people on a day, um, but it's all about taking action into the community. And so one of Mark's um, criteria for picking these uh, speakers is, can they inspire five people in the room to take action on their idea? And so we've been very, very clear all the way through that it's not about inspiration. You know, talks can be inspiring and should be inspiring, but we want to give people really fundamental ideas of of what they can do and step-by-step goals to to doing it. Now, it's a 10-year project, so next year we can come back and see, have we got to 83? You know, have we got to 84? Can you measure change that quickly, do you think, year on year? I don't think you can you can measure it uh, so quickly, but, um, you know, those are kind of things that we, that we need to set up as well. Part of this is going to set up an infrastructure of data collection that we can actually... Um, that we can actually measure uh, for the next 10 years. Too. Which is crucial in terms of the science, collecting that big data. Yeah, yeah, the big data, exactly. So, you know, what what I think is going to happen, and this is my prediction for the future, is that we will do this event and various companies will realize that this is an amazing test bed for them. And so let's just say you have a technology that you feel can help anyone to live to 100 you know, shipping over 60,000 of them to give one to every person or population in the country might not be the worst marketing expense if it showed a trajectory that was out of control and the other 6 billion people on the planet would benefit from it. I think we've talked about half a dozen of them on, on the previous episodes of this podcast, yeah. actually, yeah, devices that you can track your exercise and, and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing, which is advancing rapidly, exponentially, in terms of what you can do with uh, relatively small, inobtrusive devices these days yeah absolutely so you know that that technology piece is one of the things that we've sort of weaved into functional medicine because what we saw guess what functional medicine doctors were doing they were having everyone do a food diary so they could see what they eat but the food diary is not exactly modern technology and a lot of times they would recommend the food diary and then you forget to do it and there's no way to sort of nudge them in between to say hey you're doing it Whereas with these technology tools, there are some technology tools, just like the ones you've said, are probably more like consumer facing. There are cool technology tools that are consumer facing with four doctors so that you can see your whole patient panel on what they're doing with the technology. So those are the kind of things that we've um, sort of been big on to create these medical practices of the future. Oh, there are great devices. There's one that I've been playing with. You can measure your... Uh, EKG and send it immediately to your doctor and if you're in an at-risk community you can set up that as long as your doctor is in with this as well you can set up that immediate monitoring without actually stepping outside of your house and and that's got to be the future. Yeah touch points that happen not in a doctor's office makes sense to everyone I mean that's one of the things that we've taught so the functional forum grew and then what we realized, so the first thing that we did was to reduce the barriers to entry to any doctor to find out about functional medicine. If you're curious, you can go online, you can watch 42 episodes and counting and you can see, you know, the science and the data behind it. What we, the next thing that we wanted to do was to reduce the barriers of entry to run a successful practice. And so I wrote a book called The Evolution of Medicine aimed at doctors, the first half, which convinces them that functional medicine is the way to go for the future of chronic disease care. And the second part is really a step-by-step guide on how to build the functional medicine practice of the future, which is 
which is so much easier to build than it used to be because of technology. So you don't need as much stuff to get started. You don't need an office if you've got telemedicine. You don't need, um, you know, an inventory of supplements if you can have an e-prescribed platform. You don't need um, a phlebotomist in the office if there's a service that offers mobile phlebotomy, like an Uber driver that just happens to be able to take your blood. So, you know, we curated things that we liked that we would help you build a practice off a laptop. And now what we see is that the most efficient place to put one of these practices is in a community. So a co-working space, a church, um, a community center, a gym, a CrossFit, like all of these places are areas in the world where there's already a community, community of people that may or may not want to be healthy, but probably do. And that if you can make it easier for them to interact with medicine um, through technology and through just proximity. Um, that's the new era of medicine. You know, what I really think it is, if you take a step back, is rethinking medicine from scratch with the baseline of chronic disease. We don't realize how much of medicine has been set up to deal with the diseases of the last century, acute diseases, you know, trauma, infections, there are things that we just take for granted that are part of the medical system right now. Whereas if we take a step back and say, is this really the best way to do this? Um, and with that kind of conversation, I think we've been sort of leading the conversation of like, if we started from scratch, what would it look like? And helping doctors to do that and in turn fall back in love with medicine because that's the kind of medicine that they wanted to do when they were in medicine. It's like when they came into medicine, it's like meeting with people, really helping them, having empathy for them, supporting their, you know, their health choices. That's the Hippocratic Oath, right? That's why they got into medicine, doling out pills in five minute increments that they've been trained to do in algorithms of differential diagnosis is not the, the it's not, it's not a passion, James, I'm curious, you have access to a, a wealth of information and expertise mm -hmm. in, in terms of the doctors you speak to. Do you Have you managed to apply the knowledge that you've gleaned to yourself in your own life? It's a good question. So I was, you know, when I was in London, so when I became a student, I was out of control. Like I couldn't cook really well for myself. You know, you, there was drinking culture. I mean, if I could go back and do my university now, I'm really interested in all the stuff that I learned about then. At the time, it was like, what's the minimum that I can do to get a good job and to not mess this up? So I was I was out of control and very unhealthy. Then I became an investment banker, even worse, like long hours, coffee, sitting, sedentary, stress, stress all that stuff. So I arrived in America um, in 2005, pretty unhealthy. I was 24. Um, I was probably about 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And it's been a journey, you know, through that. Like I, I've had periods where I've, you know, I've, so I would say, first of all, my, the food that I eat and that what I consume is a hundred percent different. And that's mainly, I have to say, due to my wife. Um, you know, we only eat organic. We mainly eat at home. I haven't drunk a Coca-Cola since I lived, lived in America. Like, in fact, after two years of going without it, the taste of Coca-Cola makes me almost physically sick, whereas I used to love it. So something has happened in my taste buds. So on that end, yes. Um, I, you know, on the exercise stuff, I, you know, I've found at times, you know, things that I like to do um, and things that I don't like to do. And I can stick with the things that I like to do better. Part of the reason why I moved to California from New York was to have a more balanced life. In New York, you can just keep going and going. And especially if you're passionate about your job, you can end up uh, just 
never seeing, never getting home because there's stuff to do all day, all night, people to see, things to happen. Um, I have a daughter now. Um, so we moved out here and I would say since then I've been on a much stronger trajectory. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a journey for everyone. You know, I think one of the things that I tried to not do was to be the classic story that you would hear a million times in this space is like, I was sick, I did functional medicine, I got myself well, and now look at me. And I, I didn't want to be that guy, mainly because I'm, I don't have any medical credentials and I really wanted to separate myself as the guy who's helping doctors to facilitate the new era of medicine. But I've also realized that if I want to be totally congruent with what I'm doing, I need to get into it. So a work in progress, should we say. Mm, yeah. And what inspires you? I think I can tell from this conversation. Yeah. But, but what inspires you? You get out of bed every day to do this work because I mean I guess it's pretty tough I mean there's a lot of strands to pull together yeah. to make something like this work at this moment we've got so much momentum that is fun and I've set up my world in a way that I do the things that I'm good at and I don't. My business partner, Gabe, I'll give a shout out to like a year and a half ago. We just had a real heart to heart about what are we actually good at and what do we like doing? And the way that we reorganize the company with him essentially running the team and, and running the company and me just doing these kind of things, um, you know, doing the show. I kind of demoted myself to head of content and moved to moved to California. And it's been amazing since then because I get to do 95% of the stuff that I love. So, you know, as an example, it's not difficult to get out of bed. This morning I interviewed um, Dr. David Perlmutter, who's like a leader in the field of um, empowered neurology. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an amazing time. I get to spend time, you know, with him. So, like, I don't... I, now that it's got its momentum and it's working, I'm I'm happy. You know, entrepreneurship, I've said before, is like being hit in the face every day. And the only reason why you get value from it is you look back and see how far you've come. Like in a year, where was I last year? Where am I now? And there's always so much progress. You're like, wow, this is amazing. But in the time, it's a bit like that. Um, but I think we've we've passed that. But I'm, I'm taking on uh, harder and harder, more ambitious projects just because there's a confidence that we've developed from from doing what we've done now. Like, I didn't, I don't think I realized this until probably last month when I was at this conference, but w through the functional forum meetups, we have sort of irrevocably changed the landscape of the functional integrated medicine world because now people are getting together once a month to get together in communities all over the world to talk about this. That had never happened. There are organizations in this space that have been trying to do local chapters for 25 years and had never got any kind of attraction that we've got. So, you know, so I, that's amazing and I'm really proud of it. But I also take my role in this very seriously because I guess one thing, this is how I would summarize it and I'd be thinking about this a lot. If, medi if functional medicine just becomes another subjugated part of the medical machine that's just good for chronic disease, it doesn't facilitate the kind of transformation in medicine that I think we all know is possible, but we just don't know how to do, right? I think we all have this idea that medicine should be congruent with wellness, should be congruent with health creation. There should be a congruence all the way through medicine that like healthy doctors help non-healthy people guide them to, to wellness and people are activated in their health, like in the blue zones where they're being active like that. I think we can all sort of mentally comprehend that that should be the way that it should be. Um, but what I see is that, you know, we're in a position to actualize that and not many other people are. And the kind of people who are, are the kind of people that I don't think care about the heart of integrated medicine. Like Jeff Bezos could start functional medicine via Alexa tomorrow. Does that actually help 
transform medicine in the way that I think is possible? I don't think so. And so I feel a sort of responsibility for myself to make sure that the heart of the doctors that brought us this far and the, you know, the shoulders of giants that I stand on are honored in the increase in the, in the expansion. And it just doesn't become another piece of medicine. That's a little bit like nicer, but is ultimately just another strand of the same beast. And as you, final question, as you look at your own longevity, we're talking about getting to 100 in Guernsey. Do you have goals for yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, I do, you know, I'd like to, you know, I'd definitely like to live to 100. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, see where we are from that. You know, I live, I straddle this, this kind of weird world where, I have one foot in the Silicon Valley world where you have people like um, Ray Kurzweil who tell you that if you're alive now, you're going to be alive in a thousand years. Or if you're alive in 30 years, you're going to be alive in a thousand years, which is sort of incomprehensible to me and not something that or I necessarily... Maybe you you have that potential. I don't yeah. think everyone is going to achieve that. Well, but yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you, you have think that so. potential. Yeah. So like, I'm very interested in that. Um, I'm, I'm really interested, you know, we're just about to kick off this, you know, this year, this summer, we're going you know, macro with journey 100, like what can functional medicine do in a population, right? In a, in a health, in a, in a population. And then later in the summer, we're doing the first ever direct to consumer genetics summit where we're bringing together leaders in the space of functional medicine, genetics and genomics, mainly because I think we all hope that by the time your 23andMe test is available to everyone, that there'd be this army of providers ready to tell you exactly what to do. Well, there isn't. And so we need to go directly to consumer to talk about what is a responsible way to use this information now that everyone's going to get it. And so, you know, I have family history of Alzheimer's. So, you know, I'm quite uh, interested in interviewing people and learning about that. Um, I'm going to about to get my genetic testing done. I'm going to reveal my genetic results in a very vulnerable way before the, you know, before the summit to get people into it. But if I have both of the APOE4 alleles and I have an 85% chance of Alzheimer's, then it's probably going to, you know, send me down a path of next level exercise, nutrition, whatever. And typically for dudes, it takes something like that. Women are a bit more intuitive about, you know, cause and effect. You've got to be scared into it. You've got to be scared into it some way. And so, you know, I'm I'm hoping that um, it's going to be an empowering uh, process. And, you know, I, I don't have... My own health has actually honestly been something that uh, has been been not a focus of it, mainly for the reasons I said earlier, is that I really didn't want it to be about, oh, here's James and this is what James has done. Because every other doctor in the space, that's their story and health coach and chiropractor and whatever. They all have their own history of transformation. I wanted to sort of stand out from that. So, but equally, it can never do any wrong to be a, a kind of role oh, model. You've got to live the life to talk about it. No, 100%. And there's been times when I like I've seen myself on camera and I've been like, oh God, I gotta like do more and like be healthy. Because it's hard work, isn't it? You know, it's like yeah. So yeah, it's a work in progress. But I, um, you know, I guess I I justify it to myself to make myself think that uh, you know I've been working my I'm making my body work hard in the early days, so it's used to it. So then when I get my act together, then uh, we'll have more longevity. But who knows? Um, I've also been holding a cell phone to my head for 10 years. So, you know, we don't know oh, what that's going to lead to. So I could have brain cancer next week and I wouldn't be surprised. Let's hope not. Uh, <laughs> Journey to 100, uh, how can people find out more, maybe get involved if they want yeah, to? Yeah, journey100.org is the site. There are three ways to get involved. So one, you can come to Guernsey and come and hang out. It'll be me, Dr. Chatterjee. You'll get to meet Mark. We've got a who's who of people from all across the most interesting topics in the world. And this is happening? At June 30th. 
um, all day event in Guernsey. So it's June 30th, 2017. Um, and if you go to, if you go to the bottom of journey100.org, you can go there and it'll take you through to the Eventbrite. The second way is to watch the show. So it's going to be live stream. So again, if you go to Journey 100, you can sign up for the live streaming. You can watch the whole um, day's events. In the days afterwards, we will you know chop it up and put the individual talks on our YouTube channel. The third way um, that you can that you can participate uh, is that one of the things that we're doing. Um, is to actually participate in what we're calling the 10 principles of health creation. What we hope that Guernsey will do will be to provide a um, base rock understanding of what what would new what would a new era of uh, health legislation look like. And you know one of the benefits that Guernsey has is a very you know is a very uh, you know has has ability to write its own laws. And so what we're doing is we're building this and we've been surveying our community, crowdsourcing, what are the 10 principles of health creation? Kind of like the 10 commandments or the 10 principles of Burning Man or wherever you are in that spectrum, just to be like, okay, these are the principles of health creation. Because I don't think anyone's ever done that. So if you're listening to this and you've listened to the podcast a lot and you have a lot of good ideas about it, we would love to hear from you. Um, And you can do that at journey100.org too. We'll be crowdsourcing that through the middle of the month and then we'll be announcing it um, on the event. So I'm very excited about that because I just feel like um, what we're looking to do, the original name for it was Race to 100 because we wanted to sort of kick off a race where countries would compete with each other because you've got places like Estonia, right? That's the most technologically savvy uh, country in the world. You've got places like Springfield in Australia, where they're building a new city from scratch. You've got places like, uh, you know, there are other places in the world where they're trying to be like real international cities and international countries where you could be sort of like a world citizen. And so, you know, we are excited to, you know, use this opportunity to crowdsource from our community, um, you know, a, a, set of principles by which you could build uh, legislation for the future of healthcare in other countries. I wish you the best of luck with it. It, it sounds exciting. Thank you. Yeah, I think it is exciting. And if anything else, it's a great story. It right? is. Fantastic it's a, story. It's a great story. And if your goal, and my goal is to spend the next 10 years of my life speaking to foreign payers like the NHS and be like, hey, let's do some functional medicine here to save you some money. What do you need in order to have those conversations? You need to have one country that's already agreed to it. And so hopefully Guernsey's the first, and then we'll be able to just chalk off other countries as they come face to face with the biggest problem, which is everyone's running out of money and no one knows how to reduce the cost of chronic disease. Functional medicine does. Better outcomes at lower cost is now coming out of the Cleveland Clinic outcomes trial. And so we want to activate that and spread it around the world. James, best of luck. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. And in fact, I will post some of uh, your details on our social media sites as as well, so so people can easily get to you. That is it for this episode. The Llama Podcast is a Right Angles production. You can contact us through our website at llamapodcast.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Llama Podcast. Thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time.
Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.